You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 158, Tornadoes. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flat. Today is April 2nd, 2015, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about tornadoes. But before we get started talking about those terrible twisters, let's go ahead and load the podcast in from my trusty Commodore 64. And while that's loading, that will give us a couple of minutes here to chat during what I like to call loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, hello everybody, and welcome back. I've uh, this is not uh, what I had planned for episode one fifty eight. I actually had something planned that had to do with arcade games, but that plan got delayed, unfortunately, due to weather um, for a couple of weeks, for a month, <laughs> month and a half. So life moves on. I can't hold the podcast off forever until I finish that plan. So. I went ahead and picked another topic in the queue, and this topic ended up being tornadoes, and I will move that arcade-themed show back an episode or two until events unfold and I can tell that story. What have I been up to in the past? Well, since the last episode, well, one is uh, I went on vacation. I went on vacation to Washington, D.C. during the kids' spring break. Now, As you may recall, I work for the federal government, as does my wife. In my wife's position, she actually travels to Washington, D.C. We live in Oklahoma. She travels to D.C. one week a month. So I don't know how many times I've been to Washington, D.C., at least 20 times. So you would think neither one of us would want to go to Washington, D.C. on vacation. But unfortunately, whenever we go to Washington, D.C., it's all work. We don't have a whole lot of time to... See the sites, go to the museums, do all those fun extracurricular activities. The last time I went on any tours or anything like that, I was in grade school, so that's that's been a long time. So we loaded up the family Honda, and the kids got in the back seat. My wife and I got in the front seat, and we drove from Oklahoma City to Washington, D.C., which is, um, well, if you were to do it straight through, it'd be... 20, 20-ish hours, 21 hours, something like that. We took a detour. We stopped in Louisville, Kentucky. We have a co-worker, a very nice lady named Betty, who just either just turned or is about to turn 70 years old. And uh, Betty bought uh, a plate from a local artist for each one of our kids when they were born. And so my son's 13 and my daughter is 9. And the plates, the older plate lasted 13 years until about a month ago when my son broke it. And so um, another thing, if you check out RobOHara.com, there's a link on the left-hand side 
that has a list of every state I've visited. So I've been keeping track of all the states I've visited, and so far I have visited 45 of the 50 United States, and Kentucky is one of the states I have not been to. So all these things kind of converged. We ended up driving the car to Kentucky. We got to meet our friend Betty. We picked up a replacement plate for the one my son broke. We toured the Churchill Downs. We got to go out on the racetrack, see where the horses run. There are seats. We stood in seats that cost uh, tens of thousands of dollars, but the tour is about 12 bucks a person, I think. Maybe it's a little bit more, not much. Um, so, But there's no horses. So <laughs> that's the trade-off for the cheap seats. Uh, and we went to the Louisville Slugger uh, factory where they make – Louisville Slugger baseball bats. You get to go through and watch them make baseball bats. And uh, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but it's, I always love things like that. I love to see how things work, how they're made. They showed us how originally the bats took uh, half an hour to make by hand, and now they can churn out a bat in 30 seconds. They have all this automated equipment where they can pick different bats, the different styles and uh, signature bats for each player and churn those things out. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Inside the Louisville Slugger factory and museum is the tops. Uh, now the reason it's there is obviously for baseball cards, but the museum focused on, it was just a small walkthrough. It took five, I mean, probably 10 minutes to go through, but what it really focused on was all the type of cards other than baseball cards. So they had, Star Trek cards, Star Wars cards, Indiana Jones cards, Smurf cards, uh, all different kinds. They had uh, a big section for Garbage Pail Kids. So it was really uh, all about pop culture. They had a lot of uh, movie memorabilia. Uh, they had a blaster from Star Wars. They had costumes from the original Batman uh, television show and from uh, Superman. So, you know, they have a lot of cool stuff in there. So I, I always love pop culture stuff. So we finished with Louisville, Kentucky, and then drove the next day to Washington, D.C. Now, my wife did have to work some of the time that we were in Washington, D.C., but we did get to see the uh, – we did a bunch of Smithsonian. The kids and I did the Smithsonian Museums. We did the uh, – American History Museum, that's the one everybody wants to go see that has the ruby red slippers and uh, all sorts of things. Kermit the Frog and Archie the Bunk or Archie the Bunkers, <laughs> Archie Bunkers chair. They had Archie Bunkers chairs and the Fonz's jacket. And I listened to person after person come up and not know who either one of those were. My kids did not know who the Fonz was. My son's 13. I thought that the Fonz uh, had permeated uh, pop culture deeper than that, but apparently not. And there were people I, I saw in their 20s that didn't know who Archie Bunker was or Archie the Bunker. That might be a cool That might be a cool rap name. Um, but we did that. We did the Air and Space Museum, which is super cool. Um, and, you know, all the Smithsonian Museums in Washington, D.C. are free. So... We did the Natural History Museum, which I really enjoyed. There was a lot of stuff there I didn't really care for, uh, but I love bones and skeletons. You know, I have a skeleton. I have McRib, um, and, uh, you know, they had a human skeleton, orangutan, like all different types of monkeys and primates. They had all types of fish and snakes. I just thought it was fascinating to see how things are, are put together, you know. So I had a really good time 
going through that museum. We also visited the Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., which uh, is not free. I think uh, for the three, it was me and the kids, uh, was uh, about 60 bucks. <laughs> so, uh, But it was very, very interesting. Uh, it's actually kind of divided in half. The first half is spy gadgets and the history of spies and espionage. They had a, an Enigma machine. Actually, they had an interactive Enigma display where the kids got to decrypt uh, codes using a virtual Enigma, like on touch screens. Uh, spy devices hollowed out, you know, things where, where people would pass notes, just all kinds of really cool stuff, a lot of uh, cool uh, devices and things. Uh, and then the second half of the museum was all dedicated to James Bond. Now, I don't know. I mean, I have seen some James Bond movies when I was a kid. I don't, I would not call myself a James Bond fan. I'm not against James Bond. I just never, I don't watch those movies a lot, but um, I'd like to go back and see them now. I took a ton of pictures of all these things. So that museum was great. Oh, and then uh, we took a detour one day and we drove from DC to Ambler, Pennsylvania and went to the official Three Stooges Museum, the Stoogeum. And I wasn't thrilled with it. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fun. Uh, a lot of the memorabilia they have are from the later years, which makes sense. And a lot of that earlier stuff just didn't survive. So, you know, there's costumes like from the movies, uh, you know, Snow White and the Three Stooges, uh, Three Stooges and, and Hercules, you know, those type, that type of era. There was a, a whole room of collectibles. And I thought that was really interesting. And some of the Stooges' personal memorabilia, there was uh, uh, some of their tax forms and one of their driver's licenses and things like that. The upstairs was uh, artwork that had been submitted to the museum. And, um, you know, it was just from mostly artists I hadn't heard of. So we kind of we kind of blew through that. There was a Three Stooges arcade game and a Three Stooges pinball machine. My son loved those. And then the tour ended at the Three Stooges uh, theater, which is a theater that seats about 80 people. And they just constantly show three stooges shorts the entire time they're open. After about the third one, I've reminded my kids that we have every single three stooges short, uh, on our home video server and they could be watching those every day. And so, <laughs> uh, but that was fun and gosh, what else? Uh, so at that point, the family came home and I continued my journey up to Buffalo, New York, where I got to meet and hang out over the weekend with my buddy, Sean Johnson, who, if you listen to throwback reviews, Sean is my partner in crime, uh, on throwback reviews along with, uh, Zerb and Sean and I have been podcasting together for a few years now, but we've never met in person. And, uh, so I got to go to Buffalo. I stayed at his house. I got to meet his wife. His three kids are super awesome. We had a super great time. Uh, he got to show me all around. He lives in a suburb just outside of Buffalo, and he showed me around his town. And all these things that he's mentioned in podcasts over time, you know, um, he tells me this is where this is his jogging trail. This is where he goes to eat lunch. This is where he works. And so we got to drive around the town and see all those things. It was super fun. I just had a really good time. Sean's a great guy. He's a good host. I hope someday to return the favor. I hope he and his family make it down here to Oklahoma, maybe over spring break someday, maybe next year or something. So, uh, Sean is in the process of launching a new podcast. It's called the average runner podcast. Uh, it is for 
people that are just getting into running, exercise, jogging, things like that, or people that, you know, just run for, for fun, for exercise, whatever, and people that aren't, you know, serious training athletes or whatever. And I've listened to the first episode. It's, it's really good. It's, it's inspiring. It makes you, it reminds you that you don't have to be a professional to get out there and get some exercise and get moving and stuff. You know, I've been working on uh, my own book about diet and exercise and, and weight loss and all those struggles called Gastric Steps. Uh, you can find that at gastricsteps.com. And uh, so Sean's, I, you know, I think he and I uh, play off each other a little bit. You know, he, he sees my stuff and and I go walking and I put it in a run keeper and he sees that and it reminds him to go. And, and I see him and, and starting to listen to his new podcast again. That was um, the average runner podcast.com. And uh, so and I think he just got that on iTunes. So if you're looking for a new podcast, something to listen to, um, I, I guarantee you, you listen to it and it's going to make you want to move your feet. It's going to make you want to get off the couch and go do something. You might even listen to it while you're exercising or something. So uh, that that's pretty cool. I, I highly recommend that. And we had a great weekend together. And uh, that that's, that's pretty much it. Then I came home. We put uh, about 3,500 miles on the car. <laughs> in a week and a half, which explains why we have a three-year-old car with almost a hundred thousand miles on it. We, we do tack on the miles. Um, not much else to talk about right now. Uh, my other podcast, Sprite Castle is still going, uh, well, uh, I've been on a run on that lately. I think I'm, I just did episode eight. I'll probably release episode nine sometime this weekend. So, um, if you are a fan of old, computer games, Commodore 64 stuff, check out SpriteCastle.com. And um, got some other podcast stuff going on right now, but uh, uh, th that's what I'm focusing on mainly. So, uh, But you never know. <laughs> you never know what the future holds, right? So anyway, uh, that wraps up uh, this episode's loading time. Ran a little bit long today, but it was a long episode about tornadoes. Had to load in from the old Commodore 64 there. So uh, if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode of the show in general, you can always email your feedback to me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com, or you can leave a message for me on the You Don't Know Flag voice mailbox, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. And don't forget about the Facebook page. You can go to Facebook.com forward slash You Don't Know Flag. All the posts, uh, it gets automatically posted when I post a new podcast, so they show up there. If you want to ask questions about an episode or just share anything, that's a great place to do it. And finally, uh, don't forget you can follow me on Twitter, at Commodork. I know that was a whirlwind of information. And speaking of whirlwinds, that brings us to the topic of episode 158, Tornadoes. So when I was a little kid, I think everybody's first exposure to tornadoes is from the Wizard of Oz. You have the tornado that shows up in Kansas and it whisks Dorothy's house away and takes it to Oz. And, and Dorothy is gently set down. Of course, the house is set down on the uh, Wicked Witch of the East and smashes her, leaves her legs sticking out. 
So I think that's a lot of people's first experience with tornadoes uh, or their exposure. Now, in reality, if a tornado hit a house like that, it would not pick it up in the wind. It would just destroy it. (laughs) It would smash and throw pieces everywhere. And we will certainly talk about the physics of tornadoes on this episode. I've had people... When they find out that I live in Oklahoma, if I mention tornadoes, they ask me, why do you stay here? Why do you stay in a part of the country that has tornadoes? And I never really thought about that. You know, a tornado to me is just uh, it's just part of life here in the Midwest. You know, they have earthquakes in California and they have hurricanes. If you live near the shore and there's tsunamis, there's all kinds of, of different forms of uh, natural disaster and things like that. So, you know, I think tornadoes are just one of those things. Tornadoes to me have always kind of been like, um, you know, the possibility of, of getting in a car wreck or an airline accident. I, it seems like mostly for the most part, those things happen to other people. Um, and your odds are pretty good that it's not going to affect you. So, um, that's kind of the way that I've always looked at tornadoes. And it's kind of the way, I mean, you have to be careful when you know they're coming, but the odds of one directly affecting you are pretty slim. Not that it doesn't happen. We will talk about that as well on this show. Uh, So there are things when you grow up in Oklahoma that you become accustomed to that people in other parts of the country may not be familiar with. For example, We have the uh, noon horn siren that goes off every Saturday at noon. Uh, I know some cities have a noon horn. For us, those are also the tornado sirens. So uh, they test those every Saturday to make sure those things uh, are working and can be heard. And let me tell you, they can be heard from a long way away. My dad uh, is unfortunate. Well, I I maybe say unfortunate. You might say fortunate to have uh, one of those sirens mounted on a giant pole in his backyard. It's in the back corner of his backyard. And uh, when that thing goes off, it it goes off for like two minutes every Saturday at noon. uh, And it rattles the windows. I have been on the phone with him when that thing goes off and I can't hear because it is so loud, uh, you know, coming from his side of the phone. Uh, so, you know, there are things like that that we just are used to living around here. Another thing, when I was a kid in elementary school, we had tornado drills, and we still have tornado drills today at work. Um, but a tornado drill when you're a kid, you know, all the schools that I grew up in were brick or uh, cinder block interior, you know. And so when they would have a tornado drill, you would go in, out, leave your room. Uh, because you want to get away from windows. I'm going to talk about uh, some of the things you want to do during a tornado and some of the things you don't want to do. But you would go out in the hallway and they would make us get on our knees and then uh, facing the wall, facing the the outside of the hallway, and then put our heads down and put our uh, hands over our head because you want to protect your head. And uh, you want to stay away from debris, you know, because a tornado is essentially high winds and it's going to blow things around. So... Uh, when I was a kid, at the beginning of every uh, uh, school year, you know, or that not school year, but uh, tornado season in the spring, uh, there would always be tornado drills. And they would say, we're having a tornado drill. The bell would ring and you would go out and assume the position. And uh, that uh, that was pretty commonplace. And now at work, we do the same thing. The, I work in a government building complex that's fortunate 
to have basements. Most places don't have basements. Most houses in Oklahoma don't have basements. Uh, it has to do with the, the way that the soil is here, and they're very expensive to make where they won't crack here. So, uh, in fact, I think I've only been in two homes, uh, like actual like people's houses in my life in Oklahoma that had basements. Uh, so it's pretty rare here. But at work, we have basements, of course, and uh, we do the same thing. If there's a tornado warning, then people go down to the basement, and we don't have to get on our hands and knees. We just stand around and look at each other, and it gets really hot and sweaty <laughs> because you have hundreds of people standing in a uh, non-air-conditioned hallway. But uh, but that's where you want to be is underground, if at all possible. When I was pretty young, I would say – maybe seven or eight years old, uh, there was a storm coming and uh, there was a possibility of a tornado. And so we, um, th- this is common, I think, that uh, mothers are inherently protective of their children, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. It's probably the reason why children survive and grow up to be adults. So anytime there's bad weather, it seems like mothers always want to get their kids into the storm shelter or, or you know, someplace that's safe. And dads pretty much always go get a beer and then go stand outside to see if they can see the storm, see if they can see the tornado or, or um uh, you know, what's coming. And so I was, I was a kid, I was seven or eight years old and there was the possibility of a tornado. And so my, uh, my mom got my sister and they, they were going into the, basically in the living room, which is where we would, we would go, uh, when I was a kid, if there was a storm coming and my dad went out on the back porch and I went out there with him and I saw a tornado. It was way off in the distance. Uh, and it was looked like, you know, the tornado from, uh, the Wizard of Oz, you know, a little upside down triangle and it connected to the clouds above and it was down and it was pretty far away. But I do remember, I definitely remember seeing that and thinking uh, that that was something massive. Um, and uh, <laughs> the the storms came through. We had high winds. The tornado didn't come towards my house, but we did have high winds. And the next morning we woke up and there was this little metal thing out in the yard, like a wind turbine and this other little metal thing. And I asked what that was. And I was told that was our chimney and it was like a little metal tube. And I knew that we had a fireplace in my living room. We had a rock, you know, mantle around a big fireplace, but I always assumed that the, the fireplace up at the top, like the chimney on top of my house would, you know, look like a chimney from, you know, storybooks, like a big brick square thing coming out of the top of the house. And so basically that's when I figured out, um, I hope there's no kids listening at this point, but that's kind of when I figured out, uh, that there was no Santa Claus because I, (laughs) when I saw that and found out that was our chimney, I was like, well, there's no way anybody could get down that. It was just this little skinny pipe thing. So, um, so that, um, along with, Death and destruction, uh, they also, tornadoes also uh, ruined my belief in Santa. So thank you, tornadoes. If uh, you live in Oklahoma, and I do, then you need to know how to survive a tornado. And so uh, there are different rules you want to follow, If whether depending on whether you're home or whether you're in your car. If you're in home, uh, the first thing, the, the safest place for you to be is underground. And that means for most people, if you have one, 
you want to be in a storm shelter. Not everybody has a storm shelter. Um, if you buy a new house, it may or may not come with a storm shelter. Probably not. That's something that you would purchase and a place will come uh, dig a hole and put one in for you. I'm going to talk. You know what? Uh, I, I'll go ahead and talk now. I was going to talk later about storm shelters, but uh, I'll go ahead and talk about them now. There are a couple different kinds. Uh, there are metal ones and then there are concrete ones, but the the uh, goal of them is the same. It's to be a small area that's underground so that the tornado will pass over and not um, kill you or smash you with debris. Like I said, there are two kinds. There are metal and concrete ones. If you get a metal one or either one, uh, they will come out and dig a hole, whether it's in the side next to your house or out behind your house. They dig a hole and they put this thing in. And usually they seat, oh, a really small one would be, I guess, four people. And a large one would be maybe eight to ten people, something like that. They can be uh, anything from something that looks like a small room you know, that might have a couch or bed or anything. That would be a really large one. Uh, or it could be something as simple. The one that we have here at my house uh, is basically a metal box that seats six people. And it has two benches on either side uh, that seat three people. So you go down in this thing and and you sit in a little small metal box and you face each other. I mean, it's probably five foot tall. I definitely couldn't stand up in it. Uh and you go down in this thing, you go down the stairs. Now, ours is actually uh, in the garage. And so that is a new common thing that they do where they will come and tear out the foundation of your garage, put a storm shelter down there. Uh, and then on top of it, you have a sliding metal door, a steel door that slides over that will protect you. The one thing, and I'm going to talk about this later, um, is you have to be careful on a storm shelter like that because things can fall on top of it. So if your house were to be damaged or something, there's a possibility that things would land on top of the storm shelter and you wouldn't be able to get out. So it's always important to, when you go in a storm shelter, to let somebody know uh, that you're going in the storm shelter. And and tornadoes, it's not like you would not know <laughs> that a tornado hit somebody you knew. It's on the news. People know what's going on. Uh, so if they don't hear from you shortly, people are going to come looking for you. So, uh, that, that's not a, a huge concern, but it's definitely, if you're claustrophobic, you will not like storm shelters because it is literally getting in a small metal box or a small concrete box or, or room or whatever, and sitting there and not knowing what's going on outside. The second best thing, if you don't have a way to get underground, would be a safe room. And a lot of newer houses here in the area, especially expensive houses, have a safe room. A lot of people think about those as being protection from, uh, you know, like a home invasion or a robbery type thing. But uh, they also build those to survive tornadoes. They can be, uh, I think, you know, they make them about a foot thick concrete. They may put vents in there uh, so that you can get fresh air and things. And, and it would just be in the middle of your home like a closet or something, and you would go inside that safe room. And, and I have seen pictures of houses that were completely destroyed, and then in the middle there's a concrete cube sitting there, and that was the person's safe room. So that is definitely uh, another way to to make it safely through a tornado. Now, if you don't have either one of those things, and like I said, I would – I don't know a number. I would have to do some research, but um, I, lots and lots of people don't have. In fact, um, this 
is the first house I've ever lived in that did have a tornado shelter. And I've lived in half a dozen places. So, um, I mean, I would maybe, I don't know, one out of 10, you know, whenever there's a tornado, there's always a push for people to get tornado shelters and then there's a, a rush, you know, but then you could go years without a big tornado coming through and um, it seems like it falls on the back burner. So, but I, I know lots of people that don't have tornado shelters. So for those people, what you want to do is get on the lowest level of your house. If you have a two-story house, you want to go get down on the ground level and you want to get in the center of your home. And the reason for that is because tornadoes are swirling winds, right? And so they are going to spin around and they're going to destroy your house from the outside in. Uh, you know, think of it, that spinning maneuver. So, uh, or that motion. So what's going to be left standing most likely is what's in the center of your house. Uh, you want to get into a small area. The best thing you can do is get into a closet or a bathroom. Uh, if you have a bathroom in the center of your house, a lot of people will get in the bathtub, especially if you have children. Uh, I know people that have gone into a bathtub and put you know blankets or pillows over their kids. I'd have to be pretty sure that a tornado was at my front door before I did that, but I understand doing it. You know, it's definitely a safe thing to do uh, or a closet. And I, you know, remember a few times as a kid getting in a closet and, and uh, because we were afraid uh, now technology has come a long way since then. When I was a kid, uh, you know, they might tell you that there's a tornado in the area, but now they can tell you, you know, what street it's going down. Um, technology has just, uh, been phenomenal, the advances in tornado technology. Uh, but that's what you, that's where you want to be. You want to be in the center of your house on the ground level in a small room, uh, at school. Like I mentioned, uh, they'll probably put you out in the hallway. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the schools in a, in a little bit that got hit. There's been some, some terrible tragedies that involved, uh, schools and kids and, um, there's a big push now for schools to have a safe room. They're very expensive to build. Uh, in fact, my, my wife um, founded up a project for our kids' daycare because the kids' daycare uh, did not have a basement or a safe room. And so they built an addition onto their building uh, that is a large safe room that also doubles as a classroom. And it was about half a million dollars. So it was a huge fundraiser. They did it for – it took multiple years to get done. Um, and so now when the kids, if there's a tornado, uh, at that daycare, they all go into that room, but there was no place for them before. And, and so, uh, but there's a big push now for schools that are being built to have some sort of safe room like that built on. Of course, it's very, very expensive to build something that large. Uh, but you know, you need that for, uh, to protect kids, you know, there's nothing more horrifying. And I have been there before knowing that there's bad weather coming and trying to get to the school to get your kid out of school and there being a line of a hundred cars and, and it's, it's a mess. So, uh, if, if you know that your kids are safe at school, then you don't have to rush, uh, quite up there quite as quickly. Uh, and then there's, uh, like I said, at work, you know, in my work, we have the basement thing. Uh, a lot of places at work will have some area where people are designated to go to everybody. There's always a thing to take role. <laughs> like you want to find out you know, where everybody is and, and make sure everybody's accounted for, uh, before and after the storm, that sort of thing like that. So, uh, there's always somebody at work. There's a guy at our work that volunteers for that. And it's the guy that, um, you know, I'm sure in grade school, he was the guy that volunteered to uh, write people's name on the chalkboard um, when the teacher was out of the room. And now he uses a clipboard and uh, 
writes down everybody's names at the at the tornado roll call. So good for him. <laughs> um, now there is a chance that it, you may encounter a tornado while you are outside. Uh, most often, this happens because you are in your car. In your car is one of the two worst places you could possibly be um, because you're not on the ground. And so the wind will get underneath your car and throw it. So if you're in a car, they recommend that you get out of the car. Um, You want to get as low as possible. The lower, the better. So if you're in your car, they will tell you to get out of the car and go to the nearest ditch and lay down in the ditch. Obviously, if you can get, you know, somewhere where there's like a little creek or a, you know, a bigger type ditch, I don't mean just like on the side of the road, but, uh, you know, something that goes down a little ways, that's a better place to be. But you want to get down low. You want to lay on the ground. And there's two reasons for that. Um, Like I said, number one, the higher up you are, uh, you're going to get you know, more wind, it's going to be more, you know, the lower, the better. But the other thing is, is that tornadoes throw things around. It's not just wind. It's everything that it's run over. Uh, It's bricks and wood and pieces of trees and branches and glass and rocks and whatever else is whirling around in these winds. And so if you're out, you know, standing up, you're going to get hit in the head with this stuff. uh, And you don't want that. So you want to get down low. Uh, there's a saying <laughs> I've heard it my whole life that, um, God hates churches and trailer parks. And so when a tornado comes, you don't want to be in either one of those. <laughs> now, I don't know why. I don't think, I'm sure that there's no, statistically speaking, there's no numbers, uh, that show that churches get hit, uh, higher than, uh, or more frequently than any other type of building. But for some reason, whenever a church get, gets hit, it's always on the news. They always focus on it. And so it always seems like whenever there's a, a, a tornado that a church gets hit. So they, they would always, you know, my dad would always say, you don't want to be in a church. And sure enough, every time there's a tornado, there's a church that gets destroyed. Uh, and a trailer park is horrible. You do not want to be in a mobile home. A mobile home is a big, lightweight box. You have no protection. The wind, just like in a car, the wind can go under the mobile home. It will tip it over. It will pick it up. It will throw it. It will tear the walls off it. Uh, Every time when there are uh, tornadoes and you hear fatalities, there's always fatalities in a a mobile home, in a trailer park. They absolutely don't want to be there. Now, I lived in a mobile home when uh, Susan and I got married. We lived in a mobile home and uh, there was a a common uh, storm cellar, so you could go up to the main part. And I don't know how big it was; I was never in it. But um, uh, you know, so you want to get out of that mobile home and you want to go somewhere else. Now you don't want to be in your car. Uh, you know, another reason I don't, I don't know if I, I guess I should talk about this if you know if you're outside or whatever. Um, so I said you don't want to be in a church, when, you know, halfway jokingly, and and um, you don't want to be in a mobile home. Uh, you don't want to be in a car. And like I said, a tornado will just throw a car. It will destroy it. Uh, but another problem is people think that they can outrun tornadoes. And if you are on a drag strip, <laughs> I'm just making this up, and there's a tornado in the left lane and you're in the right lane, you can probably outrun a tornado. You know, the problem is, is that uh, tornadoes don't stop for traffic lights and tornadoes don't have to go straight on a road like you do. And tornadoes do not have to stop for traffic jams. So what happens inevitably, uh, they'll say there's a tornado coming for such and such town. It's going to be there at 8 PM sharp. 
you know, you need to uh, seek precaution. You need to get in your safety hidey hole, whatever that is. By 8 p.m., you need to be safe. So there will always be people, like if you live in a mobile home perhaps, uh, you get in a car and you're like, I'm going to leave. Well, all these other people are doing the same thing that you're doing. So they all get on the interstate or they all try to leave town and all of a sudden there's traffic jam and it gets backed up. And now you got all these fools sitting in their cars and here comes the tornado and there's nowhere for them to go. They can't move. It's just gridlock, you know. So uh, And some of those people uh, get injured when the tornado hits their car. I mean, when a tornado, like I said, It's not that the wind is going to hurt your car. It might blow it over. uh, But more likely what it's going to do is pick up, you know, two by fours or bricks and blow them through your window. Uh, And, you know, you're going to get hurt by getting hit with broken glass or or shrapnel or things like that. So you just don't want to be in a car. It's really now if you have enough of a, a heads up notice then, uh, you know, you might get out of town <laughs> and, and by, by enough time, I mean, you know, half an hour or something like that. But, uh, if, if you can see the tornado or the storms on top of you at that point, it's too late. Don't get in a car. You need to, you know, seek shelter somewhere else. Now, another thing, and, and, uh, this did not come out until 1999. We're going to talk very shortly about the May 3rd, 1999 tornado, which changed a lot uh, about um, how we react to tornadoes and uh, what we know about tornadoes. Uh, one of the things I was always told is if you're in a car, when I was a kid, I was always told this. If you're in a car, what you want to do is get under a bridge get out of your car and go up under the underpass, like get up in that little spot up there, but where the underpass meets the top of the bridge, you know, underneath it. And that is the, this is what they told us. I, I want to make sure that, that this is clear. They would tell us that that is the safest place to be. It turns out that that is one of the worst places that you can be. Uh, and so I pulled this quote. There's a quote on uh, Wikipedia here. Uh, quote, from a meteorological and safety standpoint, the tornado also brought the use, this is in regards of the May 3rd, 1999 tornado. Uh, Oh, it says that right here. Uh, It brought the use of highway overpasses as shelters into question. Prior to the events on May 3rd, 1999, videos of people taking shelter in overpasses during tornadoes in the past, most notably one filmed during the April 26th, 1991 tornado, gave the public misunderstanding that overpasses provided shelter from tornadoes. For nearly 20 years, meteorologists had questioned the safety of these structures. However, they lacked incidents involving loss of life. During the May 3rd outbreak, three overpasses were directly struck by tornadoes, with a fatality taking place at each one. Two of these were from the F5 Bridge Creek slash Moore tornado, and the third was from a small F2, which struck a rural area north of Oklahoma City. According to a study by the National Oceanic Oceanic, Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, seeking shelter in an overpass, quote, is to become a stationary target for flying debris. And so that's exactly what happened to these people. They got up there. Now, remember what I said. We, we all know. In a tornado, you want to get as low as possible. Well, these people got up high. They got up, you know, so now they're 15, 20 feet or whatever, however, however, you know, 15 feet up in the air. And so all this stuff from the tornado is just blowing. And so these people got hit with stuff and they got killed. And um, there was actually a uh, 
a story of a, a kid that got killed because the the mother was uh, um, holding the kid and the tornado came through the underpass and the winds just amplify when you're up there. And it took the kid and just threw the kid and the kid unfortunately did not uh, survive the uh, his flight. So that's a bad idea. Getting up under a bridge is a bad idea. And we were taught that and it's a hard habit to break. Your instinct is to go do that, but it's not uh, a safe place to be. Now, when I was a kid, we had uh, a family of neighbors named the Butlers, and they had a storm shelter. They were the closest storm shelter to us. Now, we lived, they were uh, the opposite corner down the block from us. So I just looked on Google Maps. They're 10 houses away from us. So if you think about, you know, uh, when you're a kid, your neighborhood walking down 10 houses or walking, you know, down the whole block, that's where they were. So if we heard that there was a tornado coming or something, that was. Uh, what we would do if, if it was a serious one, we would walk, you know, get outside and we would walk all the way down the block down to the other end of the block. So it'd take five, you know, six, seven minutes, whatever, and, uh, get down there and go into their storm shelter. Now I remember one time, uh, and their storm shelter was huge. I mean, of course I'm a, I'm remembering as a kid, I've never been in there as an adult. Uh, but, um, I know they had a pair of bunk beds in there, which I always thought was super cool. And they had a TV down there. Um, and they had, you had to run, uh, uh the antenna outside, you know, because down in there, you wouldn't get any TV reception. So they had a wire or a TV wire running out, uh, for TV reception, but a little black and white TV. So you could watch the news stuff and they had a radio. That's one thing about storm shelter is you have to keep it stocked. Like our storm shelter, we have little, you know, some people have uh what do they call it? Like a breakout bag or a, uh, you know, their little, their bag of, of things. If, uh, you know, there's an emergency or whatever. And, and we have that down in our storm shelter. We have flashlights and batteries and a radio and uh, Susan, you know, is a, a girl scout leader. So they have a, a, a hand generated, radio where you can wind it up and, and listen to radio and uh there's some food down there some protein bars and bottles of water so we keep uh stuff out there and then every spring you also have to go down there and get all the dead mice and frogs that have fallen down there and died couldn't get out <laughs> there's a few of those every year uh but anyway so we would um you know when we were kids if there was something if there was a big storm coming uh, we would go down uh down to the butlers and go get in their storm shelter and i remember one time there was a storm coming. It was windy. And, uh, and so we were like, Oh, we better go down to the butlers, you know? And so we're all going down there and this wind, we were about halfway down there and this wind hit us in the back. And it was almost like we were, it felt like I was flying, you know, it was like, uh, of course you're a kid, you know, but, um, it just hit me in the back and all of a sudden I was running faster and I was like, wow, like I was taking these big leaps. It seems like, you know, and, and, um, so we got down there and got in the storm shelter and I remember we were there for a long time, you know, and you're a kid, it seems like a long time. And, um, we had, uh, some friends of ours were over, um, my buddy, uh, Andy and his, his family, you know, so it was his uh, brother and sister and his mom were over visiting. So all of us went down to the storm shelter. So we're all huddled in this little storm shelter and, and uh, the storm passes, but it, now it's raining, you know, it's, it's flooding, the ditch is flooding, the creek is flooding. And so, uh, to leave our neighborhood to get back to their house, they had to go over this little, like a one lane bridge, you know, and, and I remember, uh, his mom telling this story later that the uh, creek had started to flood. And so she was driving across the bridge and all of a sudden the water caught their car and it kind of hydroplane. It started going over to the side. And fortunately she was, uh, going fast enough forward that, uh, she got over the bridge and, and the tires reconnected and she was able to go, but she told us 
I remember she was telling my mom and I was, you know, over, over listening or, you know, to their conversation. And she said, you know, I'm in a car with three kids and I only have two arms. And then you start thinking like, you know, if we go into that ditch, which two kids do you grab or whatever? It was just a horrifying thought, you know, um, <laughs> thinking about what, that kind of decision is terrible, you know? And so, um, you know, one of the things they always tell you during a tornado is, uh, the same thing as a house fire or whatever. Like, um, there's a lot of people that get killed because they go out for their cat or their dog or something like that. And, um, pets, this sounds, I don't mean this to sound cruel or anything like that, but pets have a pretty good way of surviving. You know what I mean? So, uh, now the dog may end up, uh, missing or whatever. And, and, you know, there, there'll be all these things that they, they organize things for people to find their pets and stuff like that. Cause there's always people's cats that run off and stuff like that. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, animals do pretty good or whatever. So if there's a tornado and people go off running and trying to get their dog and stuff and get killed, it's not, not a good situation for, for anybody. So, but anyway, uh, tornadoes. Yeah. It's just kind of a way of life, um, in Oklahoma. Now, uh, when there are tornadoes coming, the uh, local news stations, everybody has their favorite where our local channels are four, five, and nine. That's NBC, ABC, and uh, CBS. And, um, we watched channel nine. So the whole time growing up, we had Gary England. Gary England is a legend in, uh, <laughs> the, uh, meteorology field. He really is. Uh, and now, um, now we watch uh, David Payne, but people have their, their guy, you know what I mean? So we watch, uh, Gary England. So you turn on channel nine and, uh, right off the bat, uh, you'll be watching TV and then up in the corner, it'll say, you know, you've got thunderstorm warning, this, that, and then you'll have tornado watch and tornado warning and, tor you know, so there's different levels, like whether there's the, uh, a tornado watch, uh, is that there's. Uh, the possibility, like the atmosphere is right. You know, tornadoes are formed by uh, hot air coming in and they go over in the cold air and they and the, where the front meets. That's why it happens in the Midwest a lot. Uh, and then it will start to rotate and there's all these things. That everybody here, everybody in Oklahoma is an expert on tornadoes. They ask anybody what a wall cloud is or, a, uh, you know, where they see a lowering or there's the the rotation and all these things. And, and so people know this because we watch the news and they, they talk about it all the time, you know? So, um, uh, but what'll happen eventually, it'll start out, it'll be in the corner of your TV and then they just take over the TV and it will be, the weather will be on for two hours. And so you'll have your guy and all of a sudden, you know, they got all these tornado, the storm chasers, they go out there and, and, um, they set up their cameras and then they'll, you know, they got uh, every news channel has their own news helicopter, so they get the helicopter out there and they follow the tornado around and and uh, you know the the guy on uh, I think it's channel nine, you know the helicopter guy is Val, so then they'll say I think maybe Val's on channel four, I don't know, but they'll say all right, you know they got this thing called the Gitner, <laughs> which is um, it sounds funny because I always think oh they're getting that guy on the Gitner, you know, but um, it's like uh, the the communication thing or whatever, so they say all right Val. Let's get Val on the Gitner. What do we got, Val? And they cut to the helicopter. Well, we got rotation. You know, it, it's uh, rain soaked. You can't see it, but uh, we got movement and this. And then they'll say, they'll show the map or whatever. But the amazing thing is that they know because the weather, they know which way the tornadoes uh, are. Number one, where they're most likely to occur. And number two, which way that they're traveling. So they will have a map of Oklahoma and they'll, you know, figure up what the speed is and they'll draw this arrow and it'll say, all right, well, 
Uh, you know, it's going to be in El Reno at nine o'clock. It'll be in Yukon at nine ten. It'll be in Moore at nine fifteen, or Mustang at nine fifteen, and Moore at nine thirty. You know, and they draw this arrow, and so they say if you live in these areas, uh, you need to seek shelter and whatever, and, and keep an eye on uh, what's going on. So, and usually. You will have hours of notice. I mean, a lot of times they will say, listen, uh, tonight around 7 or 8 o'clock, there's going to be storms and there's a chance for tornadoes. So, And you might hear that during the day. So when you come home, you're like, all right. Like uh, yesterday, they said there could be a chance of storms. There's going to be uh, you know, hail-producing clouds at 8 o'clock. So I went out uh, after work at 4.30. I cleaned out the garage. So I'd have room to put my car and pull the car in at 5 and – and, um, you know, we went out to dinner, got everything and, and, uh, you get it all set up, uh, get ready, you know, for the night of storms. Then you make yourself, uh, some popcorn, <laughs> sit in front of the TV, hope there wasn't any TV shows on a regular four five or nine that you wanted to watch because, uh, <clears throat> sure enough, you know, those are going to be off because all the weathermen are going to be, uh, going on and the, the weather stuff, the radar and the tools, the, the programs, to me, it's like kids with their toys, you know, and I don't mean to make light of it, but, um, you know, it's it's like a guy. Um, my dad used to always say uh, about – he used to say um, – I think he, he mentioned this to me uh, after Waco. Uh, he said, there's nobody in the world that owns a machine gun that doesn't want to try it out. <laughs> And the point behind that is, is, you know, if you have toys, expensive things like that, you're waiting for the day where you get to use that. And so, you know, they have all this radar equipment. They got their helicopters. They got all this software. And so the minute that storms come in and that there's a potential of tornadoes or whatever, they're on the ball. They And, and you know, it, it's good because they do save lives. You know, ultimately, that's the goal is to save lives. But also... I would say the primary uh, function of all this is to save lives, and the secondary one is uh, to get ratings. So, <laughs> which you know, t- it's TV. It is what it is. Now, in 1994, I was uh, living in a mobile home, as I mentioned, with my wife. Uh, we weren't married yet. I had a, uh, we each had cars, and I had a motorcycle. Of course, you live in a, a trailer. You don't have a garage or anything like that. We just had a little driveway out front. And we were watching the news, and they said the storm was coming through, and they said it had the potential of tornadoes. Now, I, at that point, I was 21 years old, maybe 22. Uh, no, I was 21 years old. And um, I was like, how how bad can a tornado be? It's not um, – uh, it's wind. You know what I mean? It's not like a tsunami that's actually physically water hitting you. It's not like an earthquake where the ground's moving. It's just wind. And I get it. It's a lot of wind. It's wind blowing at high speeds, but it's wind, you know. So uh, we were sitting in the mobile home, and uh, all of a sudden uh, you can hear the wind pick up outside. You can hear leaves blowing off the trees or whatever. And then the whole mobile home uh, starts rocking back and forth. I mean, my house is literally rocking back and forth. You can feel it. I'm hearing things crash outside. Um, and it, you know, it, it wasn't like the house, you know, was blowing like, you know, an amusement park ride or anything, but it was enough where you could feel the house moving. And when we went outside, uh, my motorcycle had literally, uh, been blown over and blown several feet away from where it was, broke the windshield and bent up, uh, uh, the clutch handle and a few other things. So uh, that was my first little miniature taste of what wind can do. 
Uh, and it was scary. It was definitely, you know, you're all of a sudden you are like, you feel like in your house, you're safe. You know what I mean? Like you have that, uh, at night you lock the front door and, uh, you, you know, go to bed and you're like, and you get under the cover. Like there's some magic protection that we all get right from getting under a sheet or under a blanket or something. Uh, and to be in where you feel safe in your living room and feeling that house move is a very disturbing feeling. I will never forget that day. Um, the other uh, thing that goes hand in hand, I should mention with uh, uh, tornadoes. I, I think I was going to talk about this later, but um, by the way, I don't know if you could tell this, but I'm winging um, <laughs> this entire episode. Uh, but um, something that goes along with tornadoes is they tear up, uh, I guess the easiest way to say it would be the city's infrastructure. Um, primarily, it's going to tear down power lines, it's going to tear down phone lines, and now it's going to tear down cell phone towers. So if you're in an area that gets hit with a tornado uh, or there's a storm coming, right off the bat, you're going to lose power. You're also going to lose the ability to make phone calls. So um, And now uh, if um, you know your cable goes out or whatever, also now you've lost the internet because you, your cell phone's not working either. Uh, so it, it's very – you are cut off. And it's a very frustrating feeling. I remember that night when the, the trailer was rocking. Right before that happened, we lost the power. So we're sitting in a dark room, uh, and then the house starts shaking or whatever. It was very, very scary uh, to go through. Uh, and like I said, I did a couple hundred dollars damage to an old motorcycle. It was no big deal, but it was a, a bit of an eye-opener for me. So let's get to May 3rd. 1999. Now, May 3rd, 1999 is uh, uh, infamous. If you Google May 3rd, 1999, uh, the May 3rd, 1999 tornado that came through Oklahoma will come up. I was uh, at my house working on putting up, I was replacing a fence. Our old uh, wooden uh, stockade fence had fallen down. And so we had bought new fence panels and I was, I had a friend over and, uh, and my dad was there and we were working on the fence. And uh, all of a sudden I'll, I'll tell you this, if you've lived in Oklahoma your whole life, like I have, when it's tornado, uh, season, when it's, uh, the right, uh, weather for tornadoes or whatever, when the, uh, I guess when the possibility of a tornado is coming up, you could feel it. And it's hard to explain. But um, uh, first of all, winds always pick up. Second of all, the temperature always drops because, uh, again, those tornadoes are caused by hot air uh, and meaning, you know, a warm front, a cold front colliding. And uh, you can – there's something with the air pressure. It just feels different, you know. So so we're out there working on this this fence and I'm like – you know, it starts getting gray and it starts getting cool. And I'm like, man, this don't feel right, you know. So so we go inside and we turn on the news. And sure enough, they say hey, there's a tornado warning or a tornado watch. You know, there's a possibility of a tornado. Now, my father and I, if we're together and there's uh, a storm coming or bad weather, impending bad weather, one thing we will always go do is go eat. <laughs> And it's kind of a funny thing we do. It, it, partially, that's to thumb our nose at um, whatever storm is headed our way. It's it's our version of uh, Lieutenant Dan getting up on top of the boat and, and shouting, you know, hit me with your best shot. Uh, but there's also a practical reason for that in uh, the sense that uh, – 
nobody will be so if you know you go to a restaurant you're going to have the place to yourself <laughs> because everybody is at home being uh afraid of uh you know impending doom ooh so uh my dad and I uh my buddy Tim who was over helping with the fence uh Tim left he was like I'm getting out of here he said all right see you later and we lost our our help so dad and I said hey I know this great uh, Chinese buffet down the street let's go to this Chinese buffet so we go out we're having Chinese food or whatever and um there's something with the sky man <laughs> when um you know the sky starts turning all kinds of weird colors it'll turn purple and orange and stuff and you, and you can just feel it you just know that it's tornado weather you know and so it, so it starts doing that we're out eating or whatever and they've got the news on at the restaurant uh and then we hear tornado sirens starting to go off, and that's bad because they, they are very uh, reluctant to fire those things off. They don't turn them on for a warning or, they, or you know, they don't turn them off because there might be a tornado. They turn them on. When you hear the tornado sirens, you know, if you're within earshot of it, you need to be, uh, you know, getting into your safe place. So we heard these tornado sirens. Now, there uh, was a special released. I, I, uh, recorded, I threw in a tape, I think before we left and I recorded, uh, the news from that night. However, uh, at some point we lost power at my house. And so they actually combined a lot of the best footage, uh, and released it as a tape that you could, uh, a VHS tape. Uh, I think it's called maze fury. I have to check, but, um, uh, but anyway, you could buy it as a fundraiser to help people and stuff like that. I went to the proceeds went to help people that lost their houses and stuff in the May third tornado. So, uh, so I actually bought that. And so some of this, the audio that I'm going to be playing during this came from that. And the the difference between that and the the actual footage that I taped that night is that on this videotape they've added background music like dramatic. Uh, sounds like something from a Tom Clancy movie or video game. Uh, so, so you may hear some music in the background here, but, uh, anyway, while we were sitting in the restaurant, this is basically the part of the news, uh, broadcast that we heard. I've got a rapid rotation almost directly above me, just to my west northwest, and it's going to tornado at any time. It's all, tornado is imminent. Now here comes the funnel. I have condensation cloud. My winds are picking up. Here, here come the winds, Mike. 40 going to 50. Rapid, rapid rotation. Rapid rotation, Mike. Here we go. Winds to 50 to 60 miles an hour. Rotation increasing. Here we go. Winds to 80 miles an hour, Mike. Winds to 80 miles an hour. Tornado on the ground. Tornado on the ground. Winds to 80 miles an hour. West of Liberty, Morgan. Can you hear me? Yes, we, we have you live, David. Okay, this is I'm now. Talking, I'm talking so loud. The winds are really kicking up here again. It's just in my west northwest, about a half mile. And uh, rapid is. rotation. It's, it's, there it's, 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 it's there getting broader. It's getting broader. There it is. Broader. There it is, Jim. Uh, there you go. Right, that's rapid rotation right there, go. folks. That's uh, very dangerous. That's rapid rotation. That is a tornado on the ground. It's getting much larger. Uh, David, stay with us and stay safe. Where, where's your location right now, David? Mike, it's a big tornado. It's on the ground. It's just to my north. It's just my west northwest. About uh, uh, about an eighth of a mile. No, I'm sorry about. Uh, that is a large tornado. It's getting very large. Big tornado on the ground. The rotation is just bigger. It's right above my head. It's to my north. So. Now they are reporting, you know, I want you to think about a tornado like on the Wizard of Oz. And it's this big triangle-shaped thing, right? And it comes down to a little tiny point and it touches the earth in this little small section, right? And so now they are reporting a tornado on the ground that's 500 foot wide. 
I want you to think about that for a moment. 500 foot. So a football field is 100 yards, right? 300 feet. So it is a little over a football field and a half wide on the ground. Um, now, it is coming um, from the south. And uh, my friend Scott went to college in a town about 45 minutes away called uh, Chickasha. And you may, that's one of the, uh, obviously one of the Indian tribes uh, that came here to Oklahoma. And down in Chickasha, there's a small airport. Uh, and so, um, so we got back home, we left the Chinese restaurant. We were like, well, this sounds serious. Uh, and we got back home, turned on the news. And then they were talking about the airport in Chickasha. Okay. David, stay right there. Stay right there. And we want to know minute by minute, mile by mile, what this thing is doing as it comes into Chickasha. Okay, I can, I can hear the sirens going off now in Chickasha. All right, here we go. We have condensation on the ground again. Okay. On, on the ground. ground. On the ground. Uh, Jim Gardner, can you uh, can you pan out and show us Chickasha again, and let's go back over to the tornado. Because okay. it's now coming into town. Okay. Go ahead. It's on the right, ground. right now I'm on the southwest corner of the, of the city of Chickasha. That appears to be on the northwest side. I have a visual on the airport, Mike. It appears to be tracking. It's going to track right over the top of the Chickasha Airport, Mike, right over Nearby. the top of okay, it. Okay, now Nearby. you're talking about the Chickasha Municipal Airport on the northwestern side of town. That's correct. It appears it's going to track right over the top of it, Mike. Okay, wow. and you, from, your, from your vantage point, does it look like it's on the ground to you right now? Yes, there's a large condensation cloud. It's a very okay. large, Mike, very large. Okay, cross-confirmation here, Highway 81 and Highway 62. You folks in Chickasha, that junction, as you know, is on the northwestern side of town one quarter to one half mile west of that location that's the exact location of the tornado which would put it in the Chickasha municipal airport okay, those of you that here. live on the south and southeastern sides of that toward the northwestern side of Chickasha that's where it's going to be tracking so it's going to skirt Mike. across the northwestern drainage of Chickasha Steve Carano go ahead Mike I am on highway 81 north of 62 on the west northwestern parts of Chickasha it is on the ground once again it is it is on the ground I'm about less than a mile away from it okay Mike. Mike? Yes, go ahead, David. Okay, Mike, it's going back to another quarter to a half mile wide tornado, as we just talked about. It's recycled. It's, it's rapidly going to a quarter to a half mile wide, half mile wide wedge here on the west northwest side of Chickasha. Okay. Yeah. It's and just Mike, got it... west winds again on the south side of the tornado, about 80 miles an hour now, so there's going to be some damage south of the tornado. David Payne brings up a good point. And uh, we saw this on the June 13th tornadoes. Oh, on the south side of the tornado, you'll get some real strong damaging winds on the south side of the tornado that could easily be over 100 miles an hour. And the reason why we draw that point out is because Chickasha will be on the south side of this tornado as it tracks across the northwestern side of town. So even if the tornado misses the middle of Chickasha, you folks in Chickasha may have winds over 100 miles an hour on the south side. It'll be, it'll be a wind from the west so you folks need to stay especially away from your west windows in the entire city of Chickasha as it's now is tracking across 62 near the junction of Highway 81 near and just to the southeast of the Chickasha Municipal Airport. Hey, Mike, can I but interrupt the, for a minute? Yes. Go ahead, Mike, Jim. We're going to run into a problem here. Highway 81 is packed with cars. I mean, not Highway 81, but the, turn, the Bailey Turnpike. We're just looking at it. It's packed with cars coming southbound, Mike. I don't know where this is going to cross. If you can give a projection where this is going to cross, but we could have some serious damage here. So things are getting worse. And uh, um, 
as you may hear on some of the recordings, um, this is where I'm talking about where you don't want to be in your car. So all these people that were in um, Amber, there's two towns, Amber, Pocasset, that are side by side. They're like sister cities. Uh, all these people, when they heard this thing is coming, they all went and got on the uh, H.E. Bailey Turnpike, and then the Turnpike traffic eventually you know, just stopped. So now all these people are trapped on the Turnpike. And the tornado is turned and heading up the turnpike towards these people now. So the news uh, and, you know, the news people at this point are um, simulcasting on. So it's on the radio and on television and they are telling these people uh, to get out. And so, you know, so you have all these people on the turnpike trying to flee the tornado, which is coming to uh, Amber. Um, And then uh, here is the broadcast from that portion. Mike, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, Steve. The tornado just oh, took my. out our back windshield. The tornado uh, just took out our back windshield and shattered it. It passed in front of us about well, less than a quarter of a mile. Uh, I am. Uh, the tornado is still on the ground, probably, oh, wow, probably uh, probably east northeast of Amber, about maybe three or four miles, three or four miles. It just took out the back right. windshield of our vehicle. Okay, this this is a very large tornado. It continues right. on the ground. David Payne, go ahead. Yeah, Mike, I'm about to, I'm five miles, I'm actually four and a half miles east of Amber. The tornado went to the southeast of Amber. There's numerous homes gone. They're gone. There's nothing left of the homes. The tornado passed hey, about 200 yards to me. I had winds to probably 120 miles an hour in my vehicle. Power lines down, all kinds of power lines down. Major, major, major damage to the east of Amber, and unbelievably, there's a truck coming at me when this is going on, and he missed the tornado by literally feet. He's lucky to be alive. But again, all kinds of damage here. There's homes that are completely off the foundation. There's nothing left. Let's clarify that. You're saying that there are homes that have been swept off their foundation, and they're gone. Is that what you're trying to say? I saw saw two homes that took major damage, and one was literally gone. Gone. There was nothing left. And there's, there's, I'm seeing big, big... 100-year-old trees that are sheared off at the base or they're gone. And I, I drove to the damage path. I clocked it. It's a half-mile-wide tornado, five miles north and east of Amber. It's big, and it's got winds in excess of 200 miles an yes, hour. It, yes, it does. And I mean, it means business. Yes, it does. I think it's fair to say that we have at least an F4 category tornado now coming no from the southwest. You know, we've seen them for years. No doubt about it. seen it over and over time and time again, an F4. And uh, this may actually go, I'm not going to say an F5 because the damage is hitting, but uh, I'll give it an F4 right now. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. It's been multiple vortex, and right now it's a half mile wide, getting larger as I'm talking to you. Okay, David and Steve Cronin both stay with us. Uh, track it if you can stay safe. Let's go to Jim Gardner. Now, I don't know that I had ever heard of a tornado being on the ground uh, that was 500 feet wide. I just couldn't imagine that. Um, but... Now I want to fast forward to this part of the program uh, where the tornado is now a mile wide. Mike, this is Mike. Yes, go ahead, Mike. This storm is almost a mile wide. It is about a mile on the west side of H.E. Bailey right now. It seems to be following the path of the interstate pretty closely. It hasn't gotten much closer to the interstate since we started following it. There are people on the sides of the roads here under the underpasses getting protection. There are emergency vehicles on the highway out here tracing the storm in case of any damage. We haven't seen anything get hit here, but I imagine there are, are tons of stuff in the path of the storm and inside the actual funnel, which at this point is more than half a mile wide. Now, um, on a EF, well, 
I, I guess I should talk about this a little bit. Um, when they talk about tornadoes, they had they used to have what they called the F scale, and it was an F zero to an F five. F five being the highest, uh, and an F zero being the lowest. And these were um, basically measured by the damage that they caused and the wind speeds. And the F five um, topped out. At well, it raised a little bit, but originally I believe it topped out at 300 miles per hour. So wind speeds of 300 miles per hour. Um, it was raised to 318 miles per hour. Now, uh, at this time, as you hear the uh, tornado as it's approaching Bridge Creek, they have measured uh, the wind speeds at 301 miles per hour, plus or minus 20. And there's a actual data of 318 miles per hour recorded, which is the highest wind speed ever recorded. Um, so, I mean, you know, a tornado. It was near the town of Bridge Creek that the Doppler on wheels, a portable Doppler radar, measured an incredible wind speed, 318 miles per hour, establishing a new world record. All of a sudden, this is not only a tornado, uh, it is a tornado of uh, epic proportions. It is a mile wide. It is winds of in excess of 300 miles an hour. Nobody has seen anything like this and definitely not something that is, you know, working its way through towns. Um, I, I'm going to, well, I'm going to save that for a little bit, but, um, uh, so you know we have it going through all these areas. Uh, Bridge Creek is a a a small community. There's a lot of trailer parks, um, but now the tornado is heading up the turnpike, and it's headed towards more. So you have these guys on the ground. You have the helicopter guy, and I'm just going to let this play for a few minutes um, as uh, the tornado heads to more. And here it is. Back up, back up, back up. Backing up, we're backing up. Hello? Back up, back give up. Me on the air, give me on the air, give me on the air. Back up. Give me on the air, I'm having to back out of it. I'm too close, too close. Hello? Okay, Mike, I'm on a southwest 149, just north of the river, and an F3, F4 tornado. I just had to back out. I was too close. I uh, have to admit, I had to back out a little bit. Got a little scared there for a second. Again, uh, uh, it's crossing It's crossing southwest 149 right now. Oh, my gosh. we got. Uh, I've got a huge roof in the air. I've got a home roof in the air. I've got winds now to 100. In my position, to 110 miles an hour. The, the tornado is directly over southwest 149. It's a half mile wide and it's an F4 tornado and winds in excess of 200, maybe 240 miles an hour. Okay. If you can hear the wind, I'll roll the window down and you can hear the wind here. You can hear the, the rushing water sound, the, 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 the roar, if you would. It just crossed southwest, 149, just east of, of 44. And, it, and it's, it's uh, it, I think what it did, it turned hard right at the river and, now it's, and then it took more of a north, uh, a more of a north turn. It turned more back to the left. It anchored and came back to the left as it intensified, which, of course, is a classic thing that happens with these. So it came a little bit further north. And I, I am in the middle of all kinds of, of damage here. I've got a building that was 
Uh, as I'm talking to you, there's, uh, there's several homes here that were hit extremely, extremely hard. I have animals, power lines down, uh, animals down. Uh, I have a mess. And uh, of course, as you can imagine, we need emergency crews here on Southwest 49th to see uh, 44. And uh, oh my gosh, looking around, Mike, it looks literally like a war zone. I mean, every house, cars, um, it's, it's really bad. I can just describe it as a war zone. Uh, there's, there's debris everywhere. There's parts of houses that are okay. missing. Uh, major large trees are snapped off of the base, sheared off of the base, and again, the tornado now just to my north and east. A lot of explosions going off in the middle of this tornado, so significant damage being done as this tornado tracks. We're getting a lot of turbulence here, Mike. We're right on the edge of The winds are just incredible when we went into Westheimer. We were still several miles away from this thing, but the winds are just absolutely incredible. Okay, this will be tracking across I-35 uh, just to the north of Highway 37 at around Southwest uh, 104th Street. If you live around Southwest 104th and I-35, back down to May Avenue and Highway 37, it is right there tracking towards Southwest 104th or South 104th and I-35. Jim, let's stay with your chopper shot. It is uh, moving in now to the heart of uh, Northwestern uh, Moore. Go ahead. Roger, Mike. We can see cars on the, on the, on the roads, uh, on the streets up in front of us, Mike. I don't know if you can tell that from you, but... Uh, I mean, these people need to get off this road. I mean, it's just, it, I don't know what to say, Mike. The pictures tell it all. It's just, this is just a massive tornado. Tornado. It's creating a lot of damage. Anybody caught in this thing is going to be injured. They need to get off now if they're listening to the radio and uh, find a safe place. they got emergency crews running everywhere down the road here, Mike. We're coming up uh, just north uh, west of Westheimer here, about uh, four miles, tracking east, northeast bound with this tornado. Uh, you just see the explosions going off in the center of this thing, Mike. Uh, but the main concern is the people on the ground on these roads. They need to find shelter. Back to you. Okay, uh, let's go to our ground shot at South 89th and I-35. Now you can see it. There it is. Uh, this, we're going to stay with this one for a while as well and just go back and forth between the chopper and the ground shot. There is the tornado on the ground. You're at South 89th Street and I-35. That's just to the south of Crossroads Mall. You're looking toward the south-southwest from Crossroads Mall. Large explosion. And there's... Large explosion. explosion. Tremendous, folks. We have to just express Large to you explosion. this is 200 mile per hour winds plus now moving toward I-35 in Moore. Mike, there you can see it on the ground. That's Very dangerous site. situation. Our worst fears really are realized. Yes. A major tornado on the ground in a major metropolitan area. Dangerous situation. Not since June 13th you can hear that we it. see. You, you can, can hear, hear it off from South hear. 89th Street. Uh, let's, be hear well, let's be quiet for a second. We'll see if we can hear that sound. You can hear the roar. You can hear the tornado from 89th Street. You can hear the roar. Again, those listening on radio, you are going to be occasionally experiencing some uh, power outages because uh, these storms are moving into the metro area. We're going to have Let's occasionally that some shot. Look at the debris. Powers. Look at all the debris. Look at all the debris in the air. Folks, please, we plead with you. You absolutely have got to get down. Get, get to the lowest level you possibly can. We plead with you. Do not take the extra minute or two. We plead with you to get below ground. Get in the interior closet or bathroom. Get in the bathtub. We plead with you. There it is crossing Interstate 35. There is a tremendous amount of debris in the air. We pray and plead with you. Please get down now. If you're I-35, get out of your car. If you're east of I-35, over to Taker Air Force Base, please, we plead with you. Go to your safe spot now. Take your radio. Forget the live pictures. Go get safe. Oh, my gosh. 89, South 89. 
I, folks, we plead with you, just go, go to your safe spot if you possibly can. That's, that's an F, look at the, look at the horizontal vortex. That is an F4 to an F5 tornado. That's Mike. winds of 250 miles an hour. All right, we're asking our crew right now to shut down, get out, and get out of there. This is a dangerous situation. Mike, a serious situation. Many folks still will be tempted to go outside and try to look at this thing. Mike, do not go outside. Stay, stay where it. you're at. If you're in your car in this area, you need to get out of your car right now. You're going to be experiencing some power outages. We're broadcasting, simulcasting right now on AM 1520 KOMA and also on Magic 104.1 FM and also on KRXO. So FM 107.7 or 104.1, or also KOMA 1520. This is the uh, largest storm we have seen in the metro area. This wait, is... Wait. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this will go south of our live camera. This will go south of our live camera. Okay. I think they can probably stay up and be safe. It's going to go to their south and to their east. Folks, if you live along South 89th Street, and it's in Northmore right now, if you live on South 89th Street over to... Lake Stanley Draper and Tinker Air Force Base. Folks, it's headed your way, and it could easily be an F-5 tornado. We plead with you, do not take this lightly. So if you look at a map, uh, the path that this thing is taking, it's going to, it goes through more, and it's going to miss uh, Midwest City. And Midwest City is where Tinker Air Force Base is. Um, so now even though it's going to miss... Midwest city, they're still telling people you need to look out because if you're on the South side of this, it's just, the wind is still blowing. It's still a massive storm. And, um, so my, my mom and my grandma both lived in Midwest city. And, uh, so I call my mom and I'm like, I hope you're watching the news. And she's like, yeah, we're watching the news. It's going to miss us, you know? Um, but, but it's all, you know, we're all good. Right. And, uh, I'm talking to her on the phone, and then she just stops me, and she says, Rob, I can hear it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she says, I can hear it. It's coming. It's outside. It sounds like a train, and I can hear it. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And she's like, I, well, I'm, I'm. she had her cordless phone. She says, I'm getting in the closet or whatever. And I says, okay. Well, you know, and she says, it's just getting louder and louder. And I said, okay. And then the phone just went dead. Tinker, we're, we're in view of Tinker Air Force Base at this time. I've counted six lightning strikes directly to the Tinker Air Force Base in front of this in front of this tornado. I mean, Tinker's just getting pelted with lightning strikes. It's unbelievable. Uh, the Moor is totally without power. I mean, it's black, Mike. There's, I mean, there's just a few scattered lights on. Moor is totally without power. But right now, the main concern is Tinker Air Force Base. This thing is tracking right for it, Mike. South 89th and Sunny Line, almost on 240. Tornado, large tornado on the ground right now. David Payne joins us. David, can you see the storm? Yes, Dan, it's on, it's on 240. It's, I'm, just, I'm a mile east of Sunny Lane. It's on 240 in Sunny Lane. I've got major, 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 major damage here on 240 uh, eastbound here. I just passed Sunny Lane. I've got west winds again at about 80 miles an hour. And I mean, it looks like snow. It looks like snow. I've got so much debris. I've got so much. I've got debris all over my car. There's debris hanging on the, on the power lines that are left. Uh, there's just pieces of home scattered all through and on on I-240. It looks like it's a desert. What I mean is there's nobody here but my car going eastbound. Uh, there's billboard signs, big metal billboard signs uh, blown over, and it literally looks like looks like an atomic bomb went off here. 
just east though on I-240 at Sunny Land. The tornado now is just to my east, at, just to my just to my northeast, about uh, about oh an eighth of a mile or less. The rapid rotation here and again. Um, trees, large large trees are sheared off at the base, and I'm having I'm having okay. Yeah, David, David, it is now just it's one mile southwest. Okay, I'm going to pull out of here. We've got uh, we've got all kinds of gas lines now leaking. I smell gas feeling all over. So I tried calling my mom back. I just got a fast busy signal. I tried calling my grandma. I got a fast busy signal. I don't I don't know what the hell's going on. You know, I don't know if if um, their neighborhood's been wiped out or, or what's going on. You know, and they are showing on the news. Um, you know, by this time, uh, they have reporters that are in more. They have reporters, uh, rescue workers that are trying to make their ways. But they're rescue. There are not enough rescue people because the whole state, you know, this tornado is going for miles and miles. Um, and uh, um, <laughs> it's just bad, you know. So um, at some point, the reporters, I mean, once the tornado has gone by, the reporters uh, – turn into rescue workers and they just start you know trying to help people um he was badly hurt okay all right just stay there yeah, yeah don't move because of these power lines here. yeah we look around there's nothing left there's no homes no trees cars are mangled and by looking at all the cars we knew there was at that point, that's when we honestly knew Chase was over, that we had to get out and help as many people as we possibly could. This storm, uh, I want you to think about like, uh, you know, a house being destroyed or something and what you would think of like rubble or things. There are pictures, uh, and I can put some of these in the show notes, of just rows of uh, slabs of concrete, and there's nothing left of the house. There is no house. It's not rubble. It's just nothing. The trees are gone. It sucked the grass out of the ground for miles. There are aerial pictures of Oklahoma where it's just a track of dirt running across the state because this tornado pulled all the grass out of the ground. It's just unimaginable, the force of this thing. Um. I have never before in my life heard this. Never. Um, but as after the tornado had hit, um, uh, you know, the smaller towns, Bridge Creek, more, uh, you know, my whole life I've heard, don't run, don't run from a tornado, get under, you know, get underground, get in the middle of your house, all these things. The forecasters came on the air and they said, if you're in the path of this thing and you're not underground, you will not survive. You need to move. You need to get out. And um, the uh, unfortunately, um, shortly after uh, going through, it hit uh, Mulhall, um, and it was a mile wide on the ground, and it destroyed Mulhall. Um, it also came through. You know, this is still, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, seven, eight o'clock at night or whatever. It wasn't done. It, it, there were more storms. It continued going. Um, one of the stories that I tell people is about Stroud, Oklahoma. Stroud is a city that's on the turnpike. It's halfway between Oklahoma City and Tulsa. 
And there's a big outlet mall there. So you would take the turnpike and about halfway up, you'd get off at Stroud, go to the little outlet mall. It wiped the outlet mall off the map. And not only did it do that, but Stroud had, I think I've read around 3,000 people and uh, about 800 of them lost their jobs. And the outlet mall was a, you know, one of the major uh, employers of the area. And so uh, Stroud, you know, I mean, it, it's not like it tore up Stroud. It's like it destroyed the town. <laughs> it's like it killed a town. It's it's just so unbelievable to think about. Uh, here is a quote from Wikipedia about the May 3rd, 1999 tornado. It says, throughout the tornado's path, 36 people were killed as a direct result of the storm, and five more died of indirect causes in the hours following it. Uh, and this is just me, but I know that, uh, like somebody was electrocuted. I know somebody got drowned. So they weren't hit, you know, they weren't killed by the tornado directly, but from things, uh, that were caused by the tornado. According to the Oklahoma Department of Health, an estimated 583 people were injured by the tornado, accounting for those who likely did not go to the hospital or were unaccounted for. In terms of structural losses, a total of 8,132 homes, 1,041 apartments, 260 businesses, 11 public buildings, and seven churches were damaged or destroyed. Well, seven churches, that's not bad. That's better than um, public buildings. Maybe God hates public buildings. I don't know. It may, doesn't, doesn't seem like it likes houses too much either. <laughs> so... Um, it was it was it was um, the the scariest thing I had ever seen in my life. It was it was unbelievable. Uh, so the the next day, the next morning, I got up and I drove over to. You couldn't drive that night because uh, first of all, there were power lines down everywhere, and there was crap on the roads. There's two by fours and stuff and trees. So the next day I get up and my mom lived like half an hour away. So I drive out to my mom's place and there are policemen and national guards set up around uh, this neighborhood because I, you can't even believe this, but uh, there are looters. So there are people going into these areas and trying to get stuff, you know, from people who have just lost everything in their whole house. Um, but this neighborhood is right near uh, Tinker Air Force Base, so there are a lot of military people, and there are a lot of guns, a lot of people that are gun owners. So they're really worried about looters going in and finding guns. Um, so I go over to the neighborhood, and there's a cop standing at the end of my mom's street. And I'm like, hey, listen, my grandma lives down there. And he's like, well, you can't, you can't go in. We're not letting anybody in. I'm like, my grandma lives right there. I mean, it was like 20 houses down, you know. Eh, maybe not that far, maybe 15 houses. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I understand. I get it, but I can't let you in. Your grandma could come out here and meet you and take you back. I'm like, well, her phone doesn't work, you know? And my mom lived on the other side of the neighborhood. So I could, I had to get this way before I could get there. And so he wouldn't let me in. And so I, I drove over and there was a uh, insurance agency. So I parked there and I went and I told the people, I said, Hey, I got to walk down the street. I need to leave my car here. And they said, okay. So I went through the back uh, of their place, and then there was a field, and then there was another field, and then there was a fence. And so I climbed the fence. So I was about four houses ahead of where the cop was. <laughs> and so I hopped the fence, and I just started walking, and I just kept looking over my shoulder. And he saw me, and I saw him. He wasn't uh, you know, willing to run down there after me, and I'm sure he could have caught me if he wanted to, but um, but I had a pretty good lead on him, so I just I just kept walking. 
I went down there to my grandma's house, and uh, she was okay. And then we went over to my mom's, and there was a um, a National Guard who would not let us. And it was like um, like we were at the corner of her house. Like we were next to her yard, but we would have to go past this giant tank-looking thing to get to her driveway. And they wouldn't let us. And then my mom came out, and she's like, they're okay. And um, and it turns out she had been, um, you know, letting the National Guard guys use her bathroom. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, okay. And so they let us in. Um, believe it or not, the tornado, like a, a 710 strike and bowling went right in between my grandma's house and my mom's house. So my mom's house was fine, except for uh, up in the roof, like on the side of the roof, the flat part. I don't know what that's called. There's a, a term for that. Uh, but there was a two by four just sticking out of it. And it had come from someone else's house, two or three houses away that had just exploded and it had thrown the wood everywhere. And so the two by four, like shooting, you know, a spear had just shot and stuck in the side of uh, my mom's roof. Uh, but uh, my grandma's house was okay. And then if you went about three houses down from her, then the houses just started looking like piles of rubble. And then after that, it was – you couldn't even tell where the houses were supposed to be. It was just like you know, blocks of garbage, like a war zone, like a bomb had gone off and blown everything to bits. And then you started seeing piles of rubble again and then two or three houses and then my mom's house. So it literally went right in between them. Uh, and both of their houses were okay. Uh, my wife and I, uh, well, once you were inside, you could get a pass. They would get the national guard. People would give you a pass that would let you come and go. Uh, and the people that lived there, everybody got like three passes. So my mom gave me one of her passes. So I was able to leave and come back. Uh, and so I, I left and I came back later and, uh, my wife came with me that time. We had my video camera and we drove around, um, and uh, shot some video of driving around in the neighborhood just because it was so unbelievable. There was a, a car lot, a used car lot outside my mom's neighborhood, and all the cars were flipped upside down. Uh, there were cars. There were trees that looked like they'd been burned, but it was because all the leaves and all the bark had been stripped off them from uh, the tornado. Uh, I remember seeing uh, there was a um, – a guy who had like a like a chest freezer, like one of those big freezers for your garage that was pulled out in the driveway and, and uh, spray painted on the side. It said, don't just look, help, uh, because people were starting to drive through and take pictures and just be looky-loos, you know, which is what I was doing, too. But um, but these people are out there with shovels, like going through piles looking for stuff or whatever. Um, and also I remember going out there weeks later because a lot of times in these types of situations, uh, the news comes in, they're like, oh, this is terrible, blah, blah. And three days later, there's something else and the new news, you know, moves on. But these people were cleaning up this neighborhood for six months. And I remember seeing like signs, either like pieces of wood or on the sides of freezers or on the doors where people had spray painted their address. And the reason was, uh, you know, when the insurance people would come out and look or whatever, but there were no addresses anymore. I mean, there were no mailboxes. There were no garages. There was not, there were just piles. So you couldn't tell what street you were on. You couldn't tell what this, what the street number was, you know? So people had to, um, you know, like basically put up their own address. Um, so, uh, and I mentioned this, I had this written down here, but this said, um, uh, 
there's a quote from Wikipedia. It says, in light of the fatalities that occurred under highway overpasses, the notion of them being safe areas was dismissed, and they were from then on considered to be one of the most dangerous places to be during a tornado. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, something that changed. Uh, my friend Tom was uh, my manager at Pizza Hut uh, for a couple of years. And uh, my wife and I, I didn't know, I knew he had moved, but I didn't know where he had moved. Well, apparently he moved to Bridge Creek. And uh, my wife and I were watching uh, Discovery Channel or something like that one night, and they had a special on the May 3rd tornado, so we were watching it. And they had a, a film crew that were going out with uh, first responders, you know, the uh, uh, ambulance drivers, and they go out, and the EMTs, and they said they ran across this guy, and it was uh, Tom, and it was the guy I worked with. I was like, hey, there's Tom, and they're talking to him. And uh, I was like, well, that's crazy, you know. So we decided to look up Tom. Well, uh, I couldn't find him. Couldn't find him in, uh, in the phone book or internet or anything like that. So we drove to Bridge Creek, and we went to this – I mean, it's a small town, and we went to this pub. And I was like, hey, we're looking for this guy. And I, you know, said Tom. I gave his name, and somebody said – and I said, "Is I just saw him on TV, and and he's an old friend of mine, and, and apparently his, his trailer got destroyed. And someone said, oh, yeah, he's – um." They just built him a new house, a Habitat for Humanity, built him a house. And, and it's if you go down this street and this street and there's a little house and you'll see it. So we went down there and we found him. And uh, and Tom told me that he had been uh, – he lived in a trailer previously in Bridge Creek and he had been home with his two young daughters. And uh, there were – not really paying attention to the news, and then he heard winds, and he turned on the news. They said there's a tornado coming, and it's coming to Bridge Creek. And apparently, uh, where he lived in this mobile home, it was a little bit off the beaten path. And so when they left, they had to drive on this road about five miles before they got to town. So he said he got the girls, and they walked out, and he's looking down this road that's five miles, and he said, I could see the tornado coming up the road. And he said, I couldn't tell how far away it was. But it looked to me like it was on the road already. So he said, there's no way – there's nowhere for me to go. He said, if I got in the car and drove, I'd just drive right into it. So instead, uh, he got his daughters. He had them put on their uh, bicycle helmets. He put them in the bathtub in the mobile home. He put uh, a mattress on top of them. And he said uh, – he said the winds came up like they uh, – you know, we're growing and growing and growing. And then he said it got quiet. And all of a sudden, he said every window in his house just exploded. Uh, every window broke. And he said suddenly, I mean, it picked up his mobile home and threw it. He said it felt like he was in the spin cycle of a dryer. And when he woke up, he was laying uh, in a creek. And he heard his daughter crying. And so he um, got up from where he was and walked over to where she was. And when he, he found her, he said it was like, um, well, it was she was up against a tree, I think. And um, there had been like a little like stub of the tree, like a little stub branch that had stuck in her. Um, and she, she ended up being okay, but um, she was stuck on this tree. And so he helped her. And when he bent over to help her, he just collapsed on the ground. He said his his hip was just hurting him. So these EMTs, he's yelling, and they find the two of them. And um, and the EMT says to him, you know, don't move because um, your hip's broken. 
Uh, and he said, it's a good thing that you landed here by your daughter because you would not have been able to walk over here. And he said, I did walk over here. And he said, I landed over there and I walked here. And the guy told him, he said, you, you couldn't have, <laughs> not with your hip like that. And he said, I did. I don't know what to tell you. And so I think that's one of those things where, you know, we've all heard those stories of, of somebody lifting a car when their kid's trapped underneath there or something like that. I, I don't, I can't imagine the amount of strength and adrenaline I would summon if I thought one of my kids was hurt. But um, I think, you know, that's what happened. And uh, his other daughter, uh, kind of like the mud baby, had landed in a soft, muddy area and she was okay. Um, and I know that uh, his daughter, his other daughter had some health issues for a long time. I think she'd hit her head. She had some some brain injuries and, and she's everything's okay now. But it was it was really scary. And I asked him, I said, you know, I've always wanted to ask somebody this. I said, I always feel like, I mean, I know that the tornadoes are bad, you know, but um, you see the aftermath, this rubble. I was like, you know, were you able to find some of your stuff? And he said, Rob, I was not able to find my house. <laughs> he said, literally, we had the clothes we were wearing. That's the, he never saw anything he owned ever again. Um, and so, uh, in fact, there was a, a couple of websites set up at the time because people uh, 50, even up to 100 miles away, were finding uh, photographs and things because when the tornadoes had hit, they had blown these people's picture albums and photos and things. And so people were finding other people's photos. They would post them online and people were trying to claim their old uh, photos and stuff like that, which I think is kind of interesting, you know. But, um, yeah, he, he literally said he never saw anything he owned. Uh, from that, you know, and so it is just an amazing now. Uh, so we talked about, uh, the F scale, so F zero to F five, this tornado, the May 3rd, 1999 tornado, uh, was off, off the chart. Literally it was off the scale. Uh, and so a few years later they changed to what they call now the EF scale. It's the enhance, uh, scale and, um, they take some different things into consideration now they've shifted, but the, one of the big changes they made is that for the F5 or an EF5, there is no top level for the wind anymore. So anything that's bigger than uh, 300 or whatever, um, uh, it doesn't top out because this May 3rd tornado, like I said, it was it was so unbelievably large that um, it was just off the chart. Another change that they made uh, after the May 3rd, 1999 tornado is uh, they began using – uh, GPSs and geolocation to track people's storm shelters. Now, before then, when you bought a storm shelter, it was your job to call the local fire department and register it. So I would say I live at, you know, 1313 Mockingbird Lane and I have a, a storm shelter. So after the storm, they would send somebody out to check on you. If, if nobody's heard from you or whatever, they would have a list of all those. Well, when they started going into places like Bridge Creek, or Stroud or more that had been completely devastated and there were no addresses, they couldn't find people's home addresses to find these storm shelters. So now uh, what local fire departments will do is they will come out to your house and mark it on their GPS map. And so they will take the coordinates. And if there is a storm in your area that is a, a devastating storm like this one was, uh, they will, you know, be able to find you because nobody wants to be trapped for days under, you know, their house when it has fallen on top of your storm shelter. So I think the biggest thing about this tornado is it made people take tornadoes seriously again. And, and that's, 
Um, and maybe I, I'm just speaking for myself. I can't speak for everybody, but I know before then I would always hear like, Oh, there's a tornado coming. Let's go make some popcorn. Let's go out on the, the bench and watch it come, you know, or this, that, and this thing made me afraid of tornadoes. This made me not, not afraid, but aware and cautious, um, and cognizant of the damage and the destruction that they can cause, you know, and it, it forced me to take them, uh, it made me respect them and their power. So, uh, at the end of, uh, that special, and I'm going to pull out one more clip here. We hope we never see another day like May 3rd, 1999. We hope we never see another day like that again, but unfortunately, uh, we did. And it happened over a couple of days, uh, in May, Again, May 19th and May 20th in 2013, a couple of years ago. Uh, in May 19th, uh, May 19th, yeah, uh, 2013, a EF4 tornado hit Shawnee, Oklahoma. That's uh, where my, uh, my co-worker and buddy Johnny lives. And uh, everybody thought that was terrible. And then we all came to work the next day. And on May 20th, an EF5 hit uh, more Oklahoma. And it came through, uh, you know, normally tornadoes hit, I don't know why, I, I guess if you've ever driven across country, uh, you know, I drive everywhere. I just told you, I just drove to DC and I'm amazed at how much open space there is. You know, I mean, you might drive, once you get out of the city, you might be half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour before you see a large city. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nothing out there. So a lot of times when tornadoes come, they don't hit civilization. They don't hit towns and cities and things. They, you know, and I, part of that, I think it's probably just because of the odds, you know what I mean? Like the odds are you're not going to hit something like that. But, um, when it does, it, it's devastating. And, um, so on May 20th, 2013, uh, a EF five tornado came through and it hit more Oklahoma. Now, the other one that I talked about, remember, it was a mile and a half wide at one point or a mile wide, um, and it destroyed um, 8,000 homes. The May 3rd, or gosh, the uh, May 20th, 2013 tornado uh, destroyed 13,000 homes and killed 24 people. And um, I've had to edit this part because I've tried this about five times. I get choked up every time, but... Um, Seven of the people that were killed were children, uh, and they were inside an elementary school, and they had taken shelter inside uh, the school, and the school was destroyed by the tornado, um, and there were reports that the kids were actually trapped and may have drowned uh, down inside. It, it, it was um, it was bad. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, and again, I want to remind you that, um, you know, when, when these things come through like this, uh, there's no cell phones, cell phones stop working because the, the towers get taken down the landlines, your landline phones, your cable, those wires get busted. And so you lose your phone, you lose your cable. So you have no television, uh, uh, and then people lose power. And there were, uh, during that storm, 30,000 people lost power. 
All the homes down there in one neighborhood, he said, are just wiped out. He said the so whole it, neighborhood is wiped out. It is. It's a terrible situation. It is very reminiscent of what we saw May 3rd, 1999. We didn't think we'd see another one of these. Certainly not so soon. And it's a, turning into a nightmare scenario. Oh, this tornado that touched down at 252 uh, down around Newcastle and has tracked across southwest Oklahoma City's Moore area. Now into the uh, Middell area, it's just uh, terrible. Let's go back over to Gary real quick. All right, Gary. Uh, we understand that we can toss it out to Michael Konoposik, who is live outside of Briarwood Elementary. Michael, give us an update. Santa Fe and 141st Street. We saw this thing coming in. It was a huge tornado dumping debris throughout this area. I'm going to step out of the way and show you the scene right now are going into this neighborhood where there is complete destruction tears in people's eyes as they see this scene it is absolutely an amazing scene and a more police officer just told me just a short time ago there is an elementary school that was hit i asked if there were kids inside that elementary school he said yes so right now what you're seeing uh, parents in this area tears coming down their faces going into this area not sure what the heck they are going to see when they get into this neighborhood that tornado was absolutely huge you should have seen that debris i'm sure you saw it uh, on sky news 9 hd and the storm chasers and so that that's what's going on right now here more uh, south santa fe and 141st street kelly and amanda all right, Michael Konoposik for us uh, in the, the Westmore area. Folks, what a terrible scene. A lot of these folks are probably rushing down the street to get up uh, close to uh, the elementary school that has been hit. And that's, that's Jim Gardner. Jim, can you tell us, if you can hear us, Jim, where, where are you? Okay, I got him. Jim, go ahead, buddy. Hey, uh, Kelly, you got me? Talk to us. Where is this? Okay, this is a, this is a school right now. We're in heavy rain. That's why, uh, I mean, we're, we're in heavy, heavy rain. But I can tell you, one part of the school looked like it traveled right down. It's possibly the gymnasium or whatever. Is Rich, uh, Rich, where are you pointing? Come on back this way. Come, come to the right. Uh, okay, there's the part of the debris path. Okay, there's the gymnasium, Kelly. Do you, do you see what I'm talking about? We got a lot of heavy rain, so the, the picture's going to be kind of distorted because we got so much rain here. But it went right down. looks like that may be part of the uh, gymnasium or something, but it tracked right through the center of that. And, I mean, just wiped it out. Jim, there's is a this huge a high school? debris trail. I mean, it's just reminiscent of uh, May 3rd here. We got buses out in front of the school as we pan up a little bit. Uh, we got buses to your left there, Rich. We got buses in front of the school. We have kids standing under the awning right there. As he zooms in, you can see the kids standing underneath the awning right there on the right-hand side of the screen. So, again, it looks like it just took the gymnasium right down to the center of it there, uh, Kelly and Amanda. You know, and just hopefully, hopefully we didn't lose any lives here, but... Boy, what? I mean, it just tore through it like a truck just run right through the center of it. And there's just either what direction I look, it's just all the houses are gone, Amanda and Kelly. Yep. They are absolutely gone. That, it was a, a massive storm. I was at work uh, when it came through, and a co-worker of mine uh, lived in Moore, and he said he had to get home. And so... Uh, you know, in the, in the uh, I didn't didn't tell you this, but in the May third one and the nineteen ninety nine one, there was a lady I worked with, and she lived in Moore, and uh, she was at work, and she was driving home, and the tornado. She saw the tornado going across the interstate in front of her, and she pulled over. She got up under a, an underpass, like we thought we were supposed to do, and she had on these high heels. And she told me, she said, "Rob, those were my favorite high heels." Uh, my favorite shoes that I owned, and I climbed up there and I busted the heel off. And she said the whole time I was up there, I was pissed off 
that I had just ruined my favorite shoes. And when everything passed, I went home and got in my car and drove home and my home was gone. <laughs> so she said, not only did I lose everything I own and all my stuff was done, but I had the clothes on my back and a pair of high heels, one of which was broken, <laughs> which I always thought was a, a funny outlook on that. Um, so my buddy uh, Howard that I work with, we we went down to the basement. We just recently, uh, well, a year or so ago, we moved to a different building at work, and right below us is the gym. So whenever you're, um, there's a tornado warning, we were supposed to go, you know, to the basement of the building, and so we went down to the basement and and. There's the gym. So we go down to the gym and they have all the, you know, the big flat screens where people work out and you can watch TV and they have the news on it. And they said, hey, it's, it's, um, you know, headed towards more. And they say, you know, this particular intersection. And Howard says, not only is that where I live, but my kid, he walks home from school. So my kid's at home by himself, you know. So, so Howard took off and then we didn't hear from Howard for like two days, you know, because, cell phones went out and phone was out, you know, you're trying to get a hold of somebody and you can't get over there because they, they shut down the area and, and you don't really want to drive in those areas because, you know, when a house explodes, when, when damage like that is done, I mean, there's nails in the road, you're going to get flat tires. It's going to tear up your, your tires or, or you're going to get somewhere. There's power lines down. You don't want to drive, you know, or get out around power lines. It's, um, or there could be trees blocking the way. So you can't really drive in those areas. So we're just trying to call Howard for days, you know, and finally he um, uh, was able to get to an area. He was that area where he couldn't get out of his neighborhood, you know, and so finally they got these trees out of the roads and stuff and he was able to get out. But um, so there was like two days where we couldn't even get a hold of them, of uh, this guy. And uh, his stuff ended up being okay. But there was a, this lady that we used to see all the time. She's this tall lady and she had red hair. And uh, she worked in the building we worked in, and we would see her all the time. At uh, We'd go down in the morning and go get coffee. And um, uh, she took shelter in this 7-Eleven that was pretty close to Howard's house, and the 7-Eleven got hit. They went uh, inside the freezer because they thought that would be safer, and um, the freezer was not really, like, reinforced or something, and um, the roof caved in, and it killed him. It killed her and uh, somebody else who had taken shelter in this 7-Eleven, so... Um, you know, this lady that worked in my building just never saw her again. Um, to, tornadoes, man. I, like I said, the odds, the odds of you ever seeing one or being directly affected by one are really, really small. But when it does happen, it's, um, and it seems like over the last few years, there's been several big ones, you know, so we, we definitely, if you live in the Midwest, you definitely learn to, uh, respect, uh, the, uh, the power of a tornado. I found this uh, website on uh, weather underground. It's a wonderground.com uh, and uh, W N or W U N like underground, but it's wonderground.com. And it is a list of tornadoes fact versus myth. And I thought this is kind of interesting. Um, this is something I heard as a kid. It says um, when a tornado warning is issued, you should open all the windows in your house that is a myth, uh, and the the thought behind that is that um, is that if you open the windows, that uh, it would equalize the pressure in your house, and that you would have um, 
less damage or maybe the wind would go through there. But um, first of all, it has nothing to do. <laughs> it will not affect tornado damage on your house at all. And um, also this mentions that it wastes time that you could be spending, you know, getting into uh, a shelter or whatever. And so, um, yeah, that that is a myth that will not uh, save your house. Um, tornadoes do not hit big cities. Well, if you've been listening, you know that that is a myth. Uh, as well, and there's uh, some examples here. The first one, it says, for example, in 1999, an F5 tornado tore through Oklahoma City. That's true. In uh, 2007, an F2 tornado went through Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so there are definitely examples of them uh, uh, hitting large cities. But uh, like I said, the the odds of it is that it will hit a non-populated area. So that's just um, – it's odds. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, actually how you know a tornado travels. Tornadoes have picked up objects and people and set them down without damage or injury. Well, we know that is true, and it is, in fact, it says it is a fact. Um, and uh, there have been examples of that. However, uh, it does say that uh, you wouldn't want to try it. <laughs> and I agree. I agree with that. Uh, if you have uh, your odds um, – uh, odds, odds are you're going to get hurt. So there are, it's kind of like saying, well, there are people that have survived, uh, uh, parachute jumps and their parachute fails, but I don't recommend it. You know, uh, a few other listed on here. Tornadoes don't happen in the mountains. That is a myth. Tornadoes won't cross over rivers or other bodies of water. And that is also a myth. Um, that is, um, uh, has been proven before that, uh, it doesn't really matter what's uh, underneath it or in front of it, tornadoes, because the storm is from above. So I don't know why people wouldn't think that it wouldn't uh, cross a body of water. The best place to be during a tornado is in the southwest corner of your basement. Uh, and it says that is a myth. Now, that was something that I had always heard, too, because um, uh, the idea was that the storms will approach from the southwest. And so you would get in that corner so that as it went over, you know, it would do the damage behind you. But um uh, really, you know, as I said, the, the best spot is to be in the center, the lowest level of your home and away from windows. Um, and then the last one on here, I'll let you answer. It says, if you're in your car on the road, when a tornado is approaching, hiding under an overpass is your safest bet. Uh, and we know based on the fatalities that we saw in the May 3rd, 1999 tornado, that that is a myth. Uh, it, it does note here that, um, the reason has to do with the way tornado winds could potentially interact with the bridge's structure at the very least taking shelter under an overpass, puts you at a higher elevation with no protection from debris and wind. Um, so yep, there we go. We know that that is a myth. I should mention the reason that, uh, I came up with this topic on a short notice is because just a couple of days ago we had, uh, tornadoes come through um, Oklahoma, and uh, they came through more. Once again, it's the same spot. I tell you what, you could not pay me to <laughs> to live uh, on that line through more where they go. They have come through multiple times uh, and hit the exact same area, and I don't really know why. I don't know if it's by chance or if it's because um, – 
the way the land is or because maybe because people – I don't think buildings would affect it, but maybe the just the lay of the land, that's uh, where they track. But um, yeah, you couldn't, couldn't pay me to live there. If you go through that area of Moore, just like my mom's neighborhood is the same way. There are a bunch of old houses. It's very, very noticeable. You go through the, her old neighborhood. She's moved since then. But there are old houses and then a bunch of new houses and then some old houses. And you could tell where they have just come in and, and had to rebuild entire neighborhoods, you know. Um, they had to do the same thing in, in Stroud and, and um, parts of Bridge Creek too. So, um, But that's uh, that's life – in the Midwest with tornadoes, um, again, you know, all this talk about them makes it sound like, oh, it's something that happens every day. I would say that, um, oh, a few times a year, you know, tornado season is basically in the spring. So it starts around sometime in March and will go through May, uh, sometimes into June, but that's about it. Um, and so during those times, you have to pay attention to the weather. You have to follow, do what the news forecasters say, watch where the storms are coming, and um, and then uh, you'll be safe. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at SpriteCastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at ThrowbackReviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at ThrowbackNetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flat.